0: Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day in the house of the Lord. Thank you that you are our God and we celebrate you emphatically and intentionally and deliberately. Our lives are yours, paid by your blood. The sacrifice on the cross made the deal... A done deal as you purchased us from the power of sin and death. Thank you for the gathering of your people in the house of God on the day of the Lord. We pray that our hearts would be open to listen to your word. To receive and welcome the ministry of your spirit. Allow your life to impart our life and transform us from glory to glory. Even into your image by the spirit of the Lord. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet. Let it be a light unto our path. Let it be a double-edged sword that pierces our hearts and does surgical precision removal of those things that are not from you and add those things that will revive us, O God, and give us a strong desire to please you all the days of our life. We give you thanks, Lord, that your word is the bread of life, that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Allow us to see what you want us to see, to hear what you want us to hear, and to become those things you want us to become. We give you thanks for the ministry of your word, and we know that a good seed planted in a good heart will produce forth good fruit and a harvest that will glorify your name. That our days upon the earth are counted, and we should redeem the time because the days are evil, and the devil is seeking whom he might devour." For he came to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but you have come to give us life and give us life in abundance. Allow us, O Lord, to change the world according to Acts chapter 17 verse 6, Lord. These are they that change the world, that stand up with a different standard than the world's standard, that shine light in the midst of darkness. We pray that your word would prosper in our hearts and in our lives, that we not only be hearers of your words but doers, and that this word would not return void, O God. We celebrate and we worship and we thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. So we start out knowing that Christmas originates not from the pagan nations, not from nations that they celebrate all sorts of things, but they do not celebrate our God and King. The visitation of the Lord shows that this is not a religion. Religion is what man does to try to reach God. If you're full of all manner of conduct and ceremonies and tradition, trying to reach up to God and conform to his pleasure, you need to swap that religion for relationship. That means God came down to the earth and he introduced himself to men. He introduces himself to you this morning, and if you welcome him, you'll start a journey that will be the most incredible journey of your life. I've named this sermon, Coming to the King, World Changing Christmas. Coming to the King. See, when the king came, he came to conquer. He came to do his work upon the earth, and he did it well. There was no one stopping Jesus from doing what he had come to do. Many times he was tempted to divert to distort, to distract and to disconnect from God's purpose. But at no time did he give in. And so he did a great work upon the earth. A lot of people still don't know the intensity of his work. But now it's, the problem is not that he came to the world in the time of Christmas. The issue is that we are having problems coming to the king. What is holding us back? From being able to surrender entirely in our coming to the Lord. We have several examples in the Bible of people who came to Jesus. Even during the nativity scene. uh, The video needs to be adapted a little bit because apparently they didn't have a budget to put the kings coming when Jesus was older. The Bible says when Jesus was a child, not an infant, the kings arrived. So And they came to his house and not to the stable. Those are just matter of factual stuff that's in the Bible. In the manger, only Mary, Joseph, and the shepherd were present. Uh, the animals in the stable, obviously. But, but there it is. It was those that were present on the night Jesus was born. A couple of months later, the kings would arrive and find the boy, not the, chi- not the baby infant, but the child in the house. The Bible says. We'll read that now in the scriptures. So all these manner of people that were approaching Jesus came with different perspectives. And my, my question today, if we're going to not discuss religion but reality, is what is coming between you and the king? What is, what is the distance that you're traveling or not traveling? I had some people that were traveling from West Palm Beach. Does anybody know Richard Lopez? from West Palm Beach three times a week to come to church at Spring of Life because he says that the waters he was drinking here in this place were so specific and so special. I, I don't know, but he put over 30,000 miles on his vehicle. Another person would have says, no, it's too far. No, my gas. Or some people says, I can't come from Sweetwater because I have to pay two tolls. And so they're coming to the Keen is disrupted by two traffic tolls, 50 cents. Their king is not worth coming to worship. But then you have the example of the king of the east that traveled so far following the star, following night yonder, trying to find out where the child was so that they might take a knee and offer to him the best of their worship as gifts. One brought gold, the Bible says, the other one brought frankincense, the other one brought myrrh, and they were all bowing down before the child, worshipping the king. And so some of us have no king but ourselves, and that is a sad existence. The Bible is filled with the prophecy for 4,000 years that Jesus would come. We talked about this on Wednesday as we said the prophetic utterances of Jesus' coming develop over a 5,000 year period, 4,000 year period where the specific time, the city, the village, the people, the bloodline, the the expressions of the star, everything was described as to how it would be fulfilled of Jesus' coming and yet some of us are so distant From knowing about Jesus and his purpose upon the earth that we barely get it right and we'd rather just celebrate Santa Claus. We'd rather just talk about snowflakes and snowmen. We'd rather just engage in the consumerism of the Christmas holidays um, which is similar to the chaos that happens in hell. All the craziness about the Christmas spirit and not the Christ spirit. It's totally different. One is about getting, the other one is about giving. And so in this expression, let's let's read a little bit about the prophecies. 500 years before Jesus was born, these are the words written in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. As we consider these words, we see the fulfillment in the time to come. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This is all setting, the coming of the Christ. I was was thinking, what, what would be the inspiration of Christ to come to the earth? There was nothing good for him to receive. He was to lose his life for the sake of mankind. The celebration of his birth upon the earth was much more of sadness than of joyfulness. What he would have to endure at the hands of his creation. Luke chapter 2 verse 1, it came to pass in those days that there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the coming events that the natural laws of men put God's purpose of upon the earth on display. The natural laws of men create the climate for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Why does the devil want you to break every law? So that you miss out on God's visitation. If you keep the law, if you keep within the boundaries of that established by government, you will see the visitation upon God in your life. And when you breach laws, all you're doing is you're giving the devil an opportunity to magnify and manifest his depravity. So for those of us that are lawbreakers constantly, criminal in existence, my encouragement is let's get within the boundaries of blessing. And let's get away from the curse of doing those things far from God's order and design. Caesar Augustus establishes a law that everyone should be registered. None of the Cubans would have registered. (laughs) The Latinos would have missed out. Being in Bethlehem. Being registered and receiving that introduction. This census, verse 2, the counting First took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Everything within the context of of twistedness in government. Uh, When Paul writes, submit to the authorities that exist. He's talking about Herod, the most cruel, criminal thug king in existence. And, And he's saying, display honor to these people that hold these governments. Because God is fulfilling his purpose. Verse 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. I don't want to tell you what I have witnessed as an attorney here in Miami as people register their sons that live in their abuela's house 10 miles away so they could go to another school. And they miss out with the school that God intended them to go in where he had a purpose and a plan for them to fulfill. So as man twists his fate, he could never see the glory of God. But in this case, all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. When Joseph, verse 4, also went up to Galilee, up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth. This is about 90 miles, 60 to 90 miles from Jerusalem into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. We were there in 2007. We saw the distance. It was no problem in a van, but I'm sure that in a donkey, it wouldn't have been a great travel. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David. He was of the tribe and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, he was engaged, betrothed as a wife who was with a child. Verse 5. So he's traveling, in this case, to the south To Bethlehem from Nazareth. And there the Bible says in verse 6. So it was that while they were there. The days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Verse 7. And laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, A lot of people have trashed this inn because they said, how could you not open the door to the Messiah? How could you not have given them the best penthouse suite in this small hotel that said it was so packed there was no more room for this young couple. And so they had to go around the back to the stable and stay where the animals stayed. They had to be birthed in a a manger. It's the eating place of animals. It's not a very um, clean place to be born. Um, All the description of the the details of his birth are right here. And and I'm asking myself, what was going on in the inn? Um, There's an onslaught. If there's no room for them there, it means it was full of people. And how did they miss this introduction to the child to this world? What were they busy, involved in? And and this group of people never showed up to the king's cause that night. And I'm wondering if you're part of those that are keeping company with those that are at the inn. In verse 8, it says, Now there were a different group of people in that same region, called shepherds, and they were living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. I love verse 9 because this is the introduction of anything that we will ever do. God sends a messenger. I'm worried about the people that receive a messenger from the Lord and then take a period of vacation where they do not respond to God's word. They don't treat it as a visitation from God. They're so involved in their personal life, in their personal affairs, their personal pursuits, and God is calling them, and they never understand the call. The angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, stood before them and said, The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. They were taken by this appearance. In verse 9, in verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, this is the description, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. Years ago, the Lord would wake me up in the middle of the night and he says, I want you to call your cousin and give him a message. So in the morning, I woke up and I called him and I said, Hey, primo. And he says, What happened? The Lord gave me a message for you. We're to meet for lunch. I need to talk to you. And I heard him start shaking on the other side of the phone. And he says, Is it good or is it bad? I said, "Is great. God has good tidings, not for us to fear, for us to be rejoicing. And so that's what it was with this angel. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. If you ever have somebody bring you woe and and doom and gloom, rebuke them in Jesus' name. The Lord always provides a way of escape so that you will be kept in his love and in his embrace he wishes that nobody perishes. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. You see, all these witches and tarot card readers, they always have if you don't do this, then something bad's going to booga booga. Something's going to get you. And that is fear. And we're not to move in fear, we're to move in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. We know this because we know our God. Verse 11, it says, Great joy will come. And by the way, my cousin says, let's have lunch this afternoon. We went. I gave him the good news. He acted upon it. He moved in the direction of God's word for his life and for his family. Verse 11 says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. How many know that God gives you the address? You could act like a dummy, but you ain't no dummy because God told you where to go. And you just don't show up. That's what it is. The invitation is broad. It is wide. It's purposeful. It's significant. It's glorious. It's Christ the Lord who will be born to you. There will be a new birth taking place. This is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Verse 12, this will be the sign that will be given to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know, I've I really been serving the Lord now for about 33 years. And I can tell you, you can't beat around the bush with God because he does not... Fanfare, he does not chase you around. He gives you specific instruction. So there's only obedience or disobedience. And delayed obedience is disobedience. The longer you take, you're just walking in rebellion. You're walking outside of his purpose. But if you're timely with God and you are able to come to the king and surrender full-heartedly, if there's no negotiation... He gives you the instructions, the details, the specificities. To to not walk in this is to become a wanderer. You will wander the earth trying to figure out what was your purpose in life because you refuse to be obedient. And so obedience causes for surrender. It causes for the knowledge of why you're to surrender. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Throughout these last 33 years, I've always asked God, God, show me your will. Show me your desire. Show me your purpose. Show me the signs. Make it evident. Make it obvious. Make it so incredibly pronounced in my life that there is no way that I would miss it. Because God is not a God of confusion and chaos. God is not a God to make you guess. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe does not belong in the gospel. Paper, scissors, and rock... Those things are all from darkness. God has one will for your life and one purpose and one direction. He doesn't have many wives for your life. He has the wife that he will give you, the family that you're to lead. I remember my friend called me after 20 years of marriage. He says, I think I married the wrong woman. I said, listen, you're a backslidden, heathen crazy, ungodly, sinful man. That's why you're in the confusion to think she's not your wife, to think that those children God gave you don't deserve that family. You're, you're nuts. I'll represent your wife, but not you, I told him. She gets a free lawyer, so I'm gonna defend her, and, and you're in trouble. You're going straight to the pit of hell, I told him. Straight, he goes, but all these pastors are getting divorced. I said, I don't care what the pastors are doing. I care what God is doing. The precision of God's ways. So here it is. We're in verse 12. We had the sign, the address, the description. See, for those of you that are, um, Jesus came to his own. And he would speak to his own people and say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the light of the world. And they were like, well, we don't get it. He goes, no, you don't want to get it. That's what he told them. In, let's find that verse. I, I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses in John chapter 8. He, he's talking to them pinpointedly, and they want to mix up the land. We, we call these guys tirapolvo, those that stir up, muck up the water so there's no clarity. They don't want to know the will of God because it causes them to deny themselves. It causes them to not run after their lusts. And so here in John chapter 8, he says, they got all into this affairs. Mm. I'll get it for you right now. mm Let me see. Let me see. It's more obvious than that. Um, let me look it up real quick because it's super important. And he, he's addressing them, and they're like, tell us and make it obvious. And he tells them, listen. Listen. I've made it super obvious, but you guys are into confusion, so you really don't want to know the truth. Because once you know the truth, then you have to obey it. And there's people that are constantly mucking up the waters. You talk somebody to, to somebody about Jesus and salvation and forgiveness of the sins, and they come out with, and how about the dinosaurs? It's like, we're not talking about dinosaurs, my friend. Go to the museum. They want to muck up the water so they don't get the clarity of the address to what Jesus wants them to know because then they would be obliged to have to fill, fulfill that purpose. get it to you oh Lord Jesus Let's go to um, John chapter 10, verse 24. This is another example. It's not the example I was looking for, but this is similar where he says like this. He says, the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in suspense and doubt? If you, why, why do you keep us in darkness? Why don't you bring clarity to our lives? How long will you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us so it is obvious to us. Don't speak to us in a weird language. And so verse 25, he responds, listen, I've made it super obvious. I've made it super clear. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. Look at the works that I'm doing in my Father's name. They witness of me. Look, look at the evidence of the fruit that's being produced by my life. And then he tells them, verse 26, but because you are not my sheep, you refuse to believe. Because you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep, they hear me clearly, they hear me instantly, they follow me, they obey, they walk, they, they, they fulfill my purpose. Going back to Luke chapter 2, it says that in verse 13, Luke 2.13, that suddenly there was with the angel that was announcing to the shepherds a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying these words. Here it is, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Let there be prosperity, goodwill toward men. That's God's desire, that men might fall in line with his purpose. So it was, verse 15, when the angels had gone away, they went back to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made us known. He's given us a road map. Let's follow it. I'm blown away by the scene of the road of Emmaus. Emmaus. They, they, they killed Jesus Christ. And some disciples that said, we're going back to our hometown. Jesus catches up to them and starts saying, what happened? Well, haven't you heard? No, what happened? They've killed Jesus Christ. Everyone's talking about it and then Jesus says well wasn't this guy the one that was going to save the world and didn't the prophets say this about him and he began to get into scripture and gave them so much information that their hearts started burning in him and they started saying you must stay at our house they didn't know it was Jesus you must stay at our house and when he turned back and was no more the Bible says they arose quickly and ran back to Jerusalem. They had left the sight of what everything was going on. They started going back home until Jesus met up with them and says, Hey, get back in God's game plan. Get back on God's schedule. So when the angels were gone, the shepherds said, Let's go to Bethlehem to be part of this thing. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph. Verse 16, Luke 2, 16. And they saw the baby lying in the manger. They did make it to the manger scene. They did make it to the nativity scene. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled those things which were told to them by the shepherds. Mary kept all these things privately in her heart. Matthew chapter 2 We revisit the scene, verse 1, where Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And behold, the wise men, the magi, those who studied the stars, came from the east to Jerusalem. They traveled far. And they asked this question, verse two, "Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to bow down and worship him." And Herod heard this thing, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the priests and the scribes, these people never even came to the manger or to see Jesus. They were too involved in religion. How many know people like that? They come to church, but the church is not in them. They come to church, but church is not their reality. It's their religion. It says, um, uh, where is he who has been? Verse 3, they called the religious leaders. Verse 4, Herod the king was, when we gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, they inquired of where Christ was to be born. They had the address. They had the records. Verse 5, they had the know-how, but they didn't come to worship. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by a prophet. We know what the prophet said. We know the time. We know the season. Verse 6. If the shepherds were there and the kings were there, why weren't the priests there? Why weren't the religious leaders there? But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a king who will shepherd my people Israel. It was foretold 500 years way before Jesus came. These all expressions of coming to the king. And the Bible says that these kings started moving in that direction. Verse 7, Then Herod said, When he had secretly called the wise men to determine from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search it out. Search out carefully for this young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I might come and worship him also. How many think that Herod wanted to worship another king? There was only room for one king. He was going to kill the child. Evidence of this is he demands a decree for all the children to be killed two years and under. When he saw that the wise men did not return... Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had been following in the east went before them till it came and stood over them. The young child was there. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, not the manger, they saw the young child with his Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their gifts, this is my question to you this morning. Is your gift to the Lord greater than your gift in other directions? When your gift to other directions is greater than your gift to the Lord, you are practicing idolatry. What is idolatry? You have lifted up something above the praise and worship of he who deserves praise and worship. Billy Graham says you can tell a man's devotion and worship by finding out where his treasures and talents go I met a man who was um, courting a young lady and every month he would write a five thousand dollar check and send it to her did he like her a lot was his devotion in that direction absolutely I was able to witness his devotion towards God and how miserable it was he was a miser he was a stingy man but not in the direction of that which he desired. In the direction of that which he desired, you see the bottom line at the bookkeeping? It was all the secret fund that went into the direction of his debauchery to his vices. But the kings came, and they were able to give gifts. And The Bible says there in verse 11, part of their worship was opening up their treasures opening up their treasures, and they presented these gifts. Say say with me, extravagant. Extravagant. Lavish. Lavish. Generous portion to that which you consider the highest measure of your praise. You can tell what a man worships by the bottom line of his bookkeeping. One year... About 12 years ago, my accountant called me and they said to me like this. They said, I was practicing law. They said, listen, the IRS is not going to believe you gave this much to the Lord. I said, I don't care what the IRS is going to say. They're going to find out who my king is. They're going to find out where I worship and what I worship and what is my priority. And it's not a lover. It's my beloved Savior. It's my God and my king. And so I says, but you're going to get in trouble now because you're giving more to the kingdom of God than anything else in your in your in your, you know, your reporting. I said, that's who I do, that's what I am. My life is laid down. I have bowed down to the king of glory. It all comes from him, it all belongs to him. Amen. It's really powerful. Praise and worship. To bow down and open your heart, um, a lot of people says, "Well pastor, why don't you guys pass the plate here at church on Sunday? Because I, I, I can't foresee myself having you to spit in an offering plate your crumbs and your tips and your disgusting expressions of worship towards a God who's given you everything. I don't want to see that. So we have a little box over there with little envelopes, and you know who are the greatest givers in that box? The widows. The widows and the orphans. I had one time, uh, Alejandro, he comes up to me with a wad of Monopoly bills. He goes, Pastor, I was playing Monopoly last night, and this is for God. And he gave me all that Monopoly money. $761 of rainbow color money. What would move a little five-year-old boy to, to move? He says, this is where my treasure is. I love the house of God. And I was like, Lord, I'm going to turn all this money into real money and give it to the offering to honor that young man, to honor his faith and his desire to please God. And then we have Brian comes up to me. His grandparents bring him to church, and, and he's, he's, there. he's pulling on them. And, and they're I've got to talk to the pastor. I've got to talk to the pastor. And they're like, Pastor, we don't know what he wants to say. I'm greeting people at the front door, and he pulls on my pant leg. He's Pastor. I said, what do you want, Brian? He says, I want to start a church in my house. I want to start a church in my house. I go, yes, sir, and you're going to be the pastor too. He says, what is here, I want to take home. Five years old, five years old. So when it comes to worship and to giving to God, I call it the intimacy you have between you and God in the secret place. And I'm not to meddle in those affairs, but it's embarrassing that you don't want to have intimacy with your God. It's like not wanting to have sex with your wife. It's embarrassing. These kings came from afar off and the measure of their distance is gonna be a charging indictment in our lack of moving. Oh no, because from downtown Miami to Doral it's 15 minutes and I really catch a little traffic on Sunday morning. I can't get my coffee at Starbucks because it gets cold. Really? I'm about to puke about to throw up like jesus does in revelations you're not hot or cold i'm going to spew you out of my mouth because your worship is pathetic i dream of the day that the churches will be catered like they do the stadiums of football and then we start doing those things which are called what do they do at the stadiums huh not the wave what they do two hours before the game starts tailgating I would love to see the day that churches begin tailgated. People get here at 2 o'clock, 2 hours before service, and they're roasting their marshmallows and having breakfast and throwing the football and say, we're going to go, we're going to worship God. (laughs) These guys who say they don't have time to come to the house of God, but they can spend 2 hours before the game and 2 hours after the game and 3 hours in the game getting plastered. Some man told a friend this week, he says, I can't believe you don't get high no more. He goes, listen, I'm higher than I've ever been high in my whole life. I'm higher than high. The kings came and they worshipped. I have two minutes to finish and 20 minutes to wrap it up. They gave gold. They gave frankincense. They gave myrrh. God is not a God that you tip. God is not a God that you salute. God is not a God that you look at the offering box and consider it an offense. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country. Verse 12, Luke 2.12. ask you this question this morning on Christmas. And if you come here to this house of worship, you are going to be pressed and you are gonna be influenced to give your best to God. We don't find that there's anything less. People who have wanted to give less to God than they need to in the expression of their existence are invited to go play church and religion somewhere else. We want to bless our children. We want to let them see the expressions of true worship to our God and King. And that takes knowledge, it takes a measure of consecration and surrender, We are learning how to move in this direction. We don't want to be distant from God. We don't want to fanfare. We don't want our distance, our consecration, the measure of our knowledge to be superficial. That when I talk to people, there is a reality about the life that we live. There's a reality, there's a substance. Christ came to the world but what is happening with people coming to Christ? Let's stand on our feet this morning and thank the Lord for this word. You know why? It prepares you for heaven. Amen. It prepares you to see the king face to face. It prepares you, the Bible says, to not be ashamed on the day that Jesus appears. Where he puts down the bottom line. All, all these manner of distances of, of the, it gave, the... The Bible could have says they gave him gifts. They, they brought things from afar. No, it's specific details. It's, it's specific things. The Bible says the widow's might was so insignificant. It says it was just like a penny, but it was all she had. And she gave more than everybody that was there. And so I want my worship and my devotion, I want my expression of, of reality to be more than just a fan flare, and flattery to myself. Ready? Here's the men. I go to church. Whoa. How did You go to church. You, you go to church? You're supposed to be the church. You're supposed to be the evidence of men redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I was talking recently to... I said, this initial introduction to come and see baby Jesus, you you learn about Jesus at an infantile measure. You're, You're invited to kindergarten, and you finger paint. But hopefully you stay in there, and you learn how to add and subtract and multiply and divide and calculus, and you learn how to move and strategize, and you go into the depth of an adult relationship, maturity with Christ, and not stay on, is everybody happy? Church is not about everybody being happy. Church is about learning how to suffer like Christ. Are you suffering in your sacrifice and devotion? Do you live in such a way that that there's there's evidence, there's weight to your proclamation? Father, we thank you this morning for being in the house of God. We thank you for those that have gathered on the day of the Lord. We thank you for spring of life and a world-changing vision. To make God a reality on the realm of earth's surface that men would be mature, that women would be virtuous, that children would be obedient and honor their parents. We thank you for the expressions and examples we have in your word. It has convicted our hearts. It has moved us, burned inside. Our hearts were burning inside as God's Holy Spirit was talking to us through his word. And I pray that each one within the sound of my voice that has been here in the house of the Lord would be moved to zeal, be moved to a life of reality and devotion to Christ the King who has come, that we might surrender, that we might consecrate, that our character might conform, not this world, but be transformed through the renewing of our mind to do the good, perfect and acceptable will of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to minister to the hearts through the Christmas season. And we'll see each other again next week and even on Wednesday when we celebrate the Feast of Lights here at Spring of Life at 7 o'clock, Lord, that we might celebrate the light that has come into the world, the clarity that has come into darkness, the certainty that's come into chaos, Lord, that you would order our steps to live for your glory. Let's raise our hands to the heavens this morning and say, Jesus Christ, the King has come, and now we want to come to the King. We want to offer our lives as living sacrifices that are acceptable to the Lord. In Jesus' name, and the house of God, says amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.